As entrepreneurs, we always think, rightly to some extent, that it's up to us to make a decision. The buck stops with us, we have to make a decision and we have to stick with it. Hey, that, that's life as an entrepreneur and a leader. Having said that, a lot of times the right decision when you're genuinely uncertain about something is to test the alternatives. Um, as an analytics person, we tell our clients all the time that the best way to make good market decisions is to test the alternatives, to A-B test, to multivariate test, to test different ways of getting things done. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I am your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several companies to seven and eight figure businesses, as well as uh, the CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And uh, today we have another great guest on the, uh, on the podcast, uh, Gary Angel. And I'll, uh, he'll tell a little bit more about himself, but uh, to, to start out with, uh, he was uh, working in uh, commodities trading for a period of time and did that for a while. And then he switched over to a, uh, a wine company for a bit of time. And then he did uh, credit card analytics and then web analytics and uh, led him on to where he's doing it today with uh, digital mortar and uh, doing some analytics for brick and mortar stores. So um, all sorts of uh, different uh, and uh, experience and uh, weaved a good journey. So um, I'll let him tell him a little bit more about it, but welcome on to the podcast, Gary. Oh, thanks, Devin. It's a pleasure to be here. So I introduced your journey just a little bit, but maybe if you want to dive in, you can share a little bit more about your journey and uh, what brought you to where you're at today. Sure. And, and as you said, I mean, I, I, I think like you've been a serial entrepreneur. I've, I've been an entrepreneur for something like 25, 30 years now um, through multiple companies, uh, some successful, some not so successful. Um, and, I, and I really started that, I think, uh, largely out of a desire to explore some new business ideas way back when you know, I started out as a programmer, uh, started to see technical opportunities. My initial businesses were very much focused on taking things I was working on and trying to build out the technologies around them. Um, over time, that evolved. I got very interested in the analytics side of things, um, understanding how to do measurement in a business context. Um, I did a lot of work, as you mentioned, in the credit card industry, and that was more initially from a consulting perspective, but I eventually started a, a consultancy focused on doing customer analytics around credit card and then eventually morph that into a business that focused very much on doing customer analytics around digital and web analytic properties. Uh, spent a number of years on that. You know, as I look back, I think most entrepreneurs have one company that they think of as maybe their most significant company or the company they most identify with. For me, that was a company called Symphonic that was a digital analytics consultancy. I spent, I think, 17 years on it from 1997 up to about 2013. Um, and eventually built that to be the largest digital analytics consultancy in the United States. That company got acquired by Ernst & Young, which was an experience unto itself, I have to say. I spent the next almost four years at EY as a partner. Um, but I found that, you know, so there were a lot of things. Maybe jump off I, of that, because that was sure. you know, a good portion of your, of your experience and your journey in that. So web analytics, first of all, if I understand it, and you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, web analytics would be kind of, you, you could be everything from, who your users are to how often or how long they stay on your site to how, you know, how long they visit to which pages they visit to, you know, who's converting and where they located at. Is that kind of when you're talking about with web analytics and so that way? That is what it is. I mean, I think a lot of it's focused on how do you make a web property as friction free, uh, conversion rich and customer satisfying as possible. But those are the kinds of things you look at. 
you look at what kind of content people look at, what pathway they follow, what kind of content actually converts, what engages people, what that engagement path is, and how do you optimize it. And that, that really is what web analytics is. So, and you started that, was it 97, 98, or what year was that? 1997, yeah. So, early so, days of the web. So, yeah, because, I mean, nowadays, it's certainly uh, probably more in vogue, or at least certainly a lot more use of web analytics in the sense that most, you know, even most uh, website builders or that, they'll have some, you know, minimal form. Google now has their own Google Analytics. Absolutely. You can go to others like SEMrush and others that give you a whole bunch of insight, which, you know, certainly isn't helpful when you're trying to make sure to convert people. But, you know, back, I would say 97, I'm sure that is much earlier, the earlier days of the internet. So kind of how did you get into that and how did you grow it? And then I also, you know, I remember when we talked, you know, shooting with a few questions, but when we talked, you know, that would be pre-dot-com, you know, dot-com crash. And so how did yep. that, how did that weather through the dot-com crash? So kind of all. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting story. Well, I got into it, you know, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area and I have for a long time. I had a lot of friends who were getting interested in the internet and spinning off and doing startups. So it was in the air then. And I was doing the analytics and I had actually created, you mentioned briefly, I, I did a wine property and that was more of a hobby business. Um, it was focused on Sonoma wineries and it was a website where we sold subscriptions to wineries to get people in. And one of the things I realized from that was that it was really hard to know what was going on from a digital perspective. If you have a storefront when people walk into your store, you know how many people are walking into the store. But when you put up a website, you literally have no idea what's going on with it. You might have a million visitors, you might have 10 visitors, and you might not know the difference between those two things. Certainly at the time that I was getting into this, most people didn't know the difference between those two things. We had to build our own tools for actually doing the analytics. There was no Google Analytics. There was no Adobe Analytics. Um, so it started with building the tools for that. Um, but that was an interesting process because at the time, a lot of people were starting to roll out websites, but the selling was very evangelical. Not only did we have to convince people that they should measure websites, we had to convince them they should have a website. You know, something that's almost incomprehensible today. But back in 1997, when I was going out and trying to sell enterprises on measurement, half of my sell was why you should have a website at all, much less measure it. That made it really different. Um, in terms of the dot-com crash, that was devastating our business. Um, you know, we, we'd grown up to be a pretty substantial business. Um, and then when the dot-com crash came, um, I tried to hold on to all those people and we gradually lost them one by one. We just couldn't sustain it. Most of our clients didn't just stop using us. They stopped existing. Um, really, we had, we had only one client that was really, that really kept with us through the, that, the entire time after the dot-com crash, and that was American Express. Um, we'd been doing credit card work for them. We'd morphed them into a web client. We actually held on to them, which is what allowed the business to stay alive, but the business barely stayed alive. I mean, it, we went through three or four years where we really had no new clients. We were surviving off one client. I had to let almost the entire company go, which was probably the single most painful experience as an entrepreneur I've ever been through. In some ways worse than just a failed business because it was sort of death by a thousand cuts as we lost clients and I gradually had to cut people. It was a really tough time. So maybe not to rub salt in the wound by any means, but maybe diving into that because I think it's also pertinent today. So I mean, there's been the dot-com crash, but then in you know, 08 and 09 and 010, whatever, whatever it ended, you had the real estate crash or you had that and that. Yep. And now people are going through COVID. So not that it doesn't happen, but so how do you... How do you know, how do, how do you weather the storm? How do you figure out how to navigate? How do you pivot? Know when to let people go, know when to shut down or kind of, how did you make that decision tree? And then, cause I think you said you held on to it and then you kind of re-engaged re it. 
grew it back up after the dot-com crash. And then eventually, you know, you're so let Ernst and Young. So how did you kind of navigate through that amidst yeah. all of the dot-com crash? The, it's a great question because it's been very much on my mind, actually, with COVID. You know, our business has gone through, the business I'm doing right now is focused on measuring people in retail spaces. Um, obviously, most of our clients are shut down. Um, mm. COVID's had a I wouldn't say apocalyptic, but close to apocalyptic impact on our business. And I've had to make a lot of the same kinds of decisions. And frankly, I've been wondering if I'm not making the same mistakes all over again. I've, you know, we've, we've held on to our staff. We're continuing to invest in the business. Um, I think that's the right decision. But frankly, looking back on the decisions I made at the dot-com time, uh, when the dot-com bubble burst, I think I made some bad decisions, actually. I think uh, my, my strong inclination, and I think most entrepreneurs are this way, was really to hold on to staff. Um, and yet in the wake of the dot-com bubble, I think it should have been obvious that most of our clients were not going to invest in digital analytics for a long time to come. Mm. Um, a, most of our clients were going out of business, so they weren't going to invest. Um, mm. Most enterprises uh, were not clear sales targets. Our pipeline fell to zero and stayed at zero for like two years. Um, uh, so I think I was really unrealistic. I mean, I think um, looking back on that, I don't think that I had the grounds for believing that the business was going to turn around in, in the time I, and the cash flow that I had available to me. Uh, so looking back on it, I think I would have been better off preserving cash and cutting people more quickly. I didn't do them really any favors by hanging on to them as we, as we, as we did that long, slow decline. Um, so, so looking back on it, I think that was a mistake. Um, and I have been thinking about that because COVID has some similarities there are some aspects to the COVID crisis that lead me to think it's a somewhat different case. One, our pipeline has not cratered, actually, the way it did in the dot-com time. Two, we've been able to adapt some of our product set to meet the needs that are unique to the COVID environment, something we couldn't do in the wake of the dot-com crash. I mean, nobody wanted friggin' internet sites in the wake of the dot-com crash, and measurement just wasn't really appropriate to what they were doing. We could have morphed into an entirely different business, and maybe that actually would have been a good plan, you know, trying to take our analytics expertise and apply it anywhere. But I was really stubborn. I really liked the internet measurement. I thought it was going to be the future. I was right. I was just like five years ahead of the time there, and I think that was something that I paid the price for. We probably should have organically tried to morph into other things. With our situation right now, there are definitely some similarities and similarities that concern me and make me wonder if I'm making the same mistake all over again, which God knows I think a lot of entrepreneurs have done. Uh, but there are some things that are different. I look at the current business environment, and I think there's at least a legitimate opportunity for us to sell product. And our pipeline hasn't cratered the way it did in the wake of dot-com. So I have some signs of hope that really I did not realistically have um, in 2001. Okay. No, I, I, that makes sense. So, so you did that. And so now as we continue on your journey, lessons learned. So you did the web analytics went, or grew that again, made it one of the biggest, you know, biggest consultancies, started, sold it to Ernst and Young. And then from there, you know, did you just jump or for, did you jump from you know, EY or Ernst and Young over to where you're at now? Or what was the journey to make that transition after it got acquired and after you made, you know, work for them for a period of time? Yeah, so I was at EY for almost four years, uh, running the practice there as a partner. That was really an interesting time for me because it made clear some things that I liked and didn't like. I'd always felt like, for me, the most important thing was the work, that the work be interesting and that the people be great. Um, at EY, the work was really interesting. We were doing strategic analytics for large companies. I was working with C-suite folks. Um, I don't think I've ever been as satisfied with the work aspects of things. But there were some things that were really frustrating. 
30,000 mm. person company, um, I often felt like I was this tiny little engine in a much, much, much bigger boat. And uh, whether I was successful or not, it didn't make a lot of difference. You know, I, I could have a great year and EY could have a sucky year. I could have a sucky year and EY could have a great year. And I never felt the same kind of personal identification with the business that I had gotten used to feeling from my entrepreneurial experiences. And that really bothered me. I found myself missing that. I found myself missing the, the connection that I think an entrepreneur feels with the business. I also found that it was different with people. You know, I've been used to working in entrepreneurial environments where we almost had zero turnover. You know, when I was at Symphonic, I think over the course of 17 years, we lost like two people that we didn't cut from, from short-term things. I mean, the turnover was virtually nil. Uh, we had immense amount of control over it. We went out of our way to make people happy. But at a place like Ernst & Young, that's not really possible. I mean, they've got 200,000 people. There's a lot of lifestyle demands. It's really hard to accommodate. People need something special. Our turnover went from like 1% a year, 2% a year, to something like 25 or 30% a year. And, and my group actually had relatively low turnover for EY, but it was way higher than I was used to. And so I was finding that I was really missing the relationships with people. Um, so I started thinking about entrepreneurial again and looking at it, you know, I, I considered several different alternatives and types of businesses. Obviously, I'd been very successful on the analytics consulting side of things, but I'd always had a yen to do a technology platform business. And in thinking about it and looking around at what we'd been doing, I thought there was a really interesting opportunity to take the kind of knowledge and experience that we built up measuring digital properties and apply them store side where people were just learning how to actually measure customers in physical spaces and get the kind of behavioral analytics that's standard on the website. That felt like a really good opportunity to me, one that took advantage of all the experience I had, but let me do something new too. And I think for an entrepreneur, that's a really appealing opportunity. So one question that comes to mind, because it almost seems like Timey, I would have flipped his backwards, right? In the sense, and, and you can absolutely prove me wrong, so, and I hope you do. So, <laughs> where it seems like retail is going or online or shopping is going is online, and yeah. brick and mortar is having a, a tougher time adapting. And yet, you know, you, went, you did the web analytics at a time of his infancy and then sold it off before it did it. And now you're into brick and mortar, which is the opposite. So, how do you reconcile, or, you know, is that a different trend? Are you seeing difference or you think that it's going a different direction? Or what makes you go towards more brick and mortar when it seems like things are shifting online? It's legitimate. Sorry, you know, it's something I worry about. I think uh, a couple of things I'd say Jump it. It looks like we got, or just something with your microphone just a little bit went garbled. Ah, okay, well, I was going to say, I think that it's a legitimate concern. I think when I look at my business, probably the biggest concern I have about it. We got, it's still garbled. Let's pause. I'm going to pause it just a second and see if we can get it, and then we'll come right back. All right, so we're back, and we had, for some reason, Zoom decided to have its mind of its own, which is a platform we use to re record some of these podcasts. Um, but anyway, we were just talking about, just as a reminder, kind of now you went to did the web analytics when it was in its early days and now it seems that's where it's moving and rather you know now you're almost jumping back to a brick and mortar where that's a harder one where it seems like those stores are closing or having a difficult time pivoting or that so maybe give an insight as to, to how you see that evolving or where your place is or you know how that timing works for you it's a great question i think the biggest concern i have about my business and certainly the biggest concern i had going into it was exactly that shift i think we've all seen that 
digital has been taking share from physical retail. No reason to believe that isn't going to continue, and COVID has actually dramatically accelerated that tendency. Um, so as I look at my business, sometimes I have real concerns and even some regrets about that. Digital is an incredible space to be in. It's growing and it's healthy. A couple things about why that space, why that shift and, and why that trend. First of all, digital is a lot more inherently measurable than store. You know, when I started the digital analytics business, um, everything you do on a website can be measured. Every click you make, every page mm. you view, how long you spend, measurement just naturally falls out of digital. The truth is that until the last couple of years, the technologies to measure people in space just didn't exist. I couldn't have done this business back in 2000. I mean, it's true. Retail was a lot healthier. Retail was growing <laughs> in a way that would have been great, but there would have been absolutely no way to do this business from a technology standpoint. It's only in the last couple of years that the cameras and electronics have gotten good enough at people track to make this kind of business successful, it is kind of a backwards journey. I mean, in some ways, it's going from the growing part of the industry to the stagnant part of, of, of the industry. On the other hand, I look at physical retail, and there's a couple things that I see. It's still majority of actual transactions, and boy, do they need measurement. Mm. On the digital side is properties are good at this. You can go talk to any reasonable retailer. Um, they have really nice friction-free checkout. They've got really nice merchandising. They understand the analytics. They're really good at it. And it's baked into their DNA. That is just not the case in physical retail. I really believe there's still a tremendous amount of opportunity to optimize those digital, those physical experiences in ways that we've seen the digital experiences evolve over time. When I first started this business, I used to have a slide that showed the difference between Amazon in 1996 and Amazon today. And boy, it is night and day different. Amazon in 1996 was the ugliest. It was just a bunch of blue text sitting on a screen. It was incredibly confusing. It's a website we wouldn't even dream of having today. Not even the worst retailer in the world today would have a website like Amazon in 1995. But I also had pictures of the gap in 1996 and the gap today. And you know what? The stores hardly changed at all. That isn't because, now stores were better in 1996 compared to digital properties, but I think there's a lot of room for physical experiences to improve a lot. And heaven knows, you know, when I think about a COVID and I think about my curbside pickup experiences and my store experiences, I see tremendous amount of room for improvement in the operational and customer experience that stores are delivering. So yeah, in a way, I feel like I'm attacking the wrong end of things right now, but I also feel like it's where the opportunity is because people have gotten so darn good on the digital side. Mm. No, that's a good point. I mean, it's probably harder to innovate on the, not that people aren't innovating, but harder to innovate on the digital side just because it has gotten so good. I mean, I remember, and I, I've a bit of a side hobby, but also a bit of a, you know, a lot of the businesses built several websites and you can do everything from, you know, heat maps to tell you exactly how long people are staying and what they're clicking on and what they're looking at. And so, you know, they've gotten very good on the analytics, but almost to your point, probably for most stores, it's the same as in the 1920s, how they, you know, monitor it, maybe a little bit. They, you know, sometimes they have the ding on the door and maybe that's turned to digital. But beyond that is basically they don't know where, you know, where people are doing and what people are looking at and everything else. So I, I get that. I think that's a good point that, you know, digital or brick and mortar haven't gone away and they're still probably, I think they've got some hard, hard times ahead and evolutions they need to make, but they'll probably stick around. And what will probably be helpful for them to stick around is to make, 
you know, use the, the tools at hand to make a better experience like that you do on a digital, you know, digital front. So that's my belief. We'll see. I mean, every entrepreneurial venture is an exercise in, in faith and belief. And I, I do think that's true. Um, but, you know, obviously we're fight, we're bucking some trends at the same time. I mean, it's not like every trend is working in our favor. And when you're working in an industry that's shrinking, I can tell you, it's definitely a lot harder than when you're working in an industry that's growing. Gro- growth makes sales a heck of a lot easier. And I know from my own experience, you know, going in and selling to clients that are growing is just a lot, lot easier than going in and selling to clients that are shrinking. And that's certainly something we've had to face. So one question, because I mean, it seems like it can almost go two ways, right? They could be shrinking in the sense that now they're saying, well, we don't have as much money. And so we're not going, we don't have the money to invest. Or it could be almost, hey, we're desperate. I don't know, desperate, but, you know, desperation or we're needing to do something to change it up. So we're going to invest more to make it, you know, so we can sustain. But you're seeing that people are, you know, more people you think in the camp of, hey, we've tightened our belts, we can't invest. Or people saying, hey, we've got to invest in order to, you know, stay, stay relevant. You do see some of each of those things, but I'll tell you, my general observation has been that desperation does not lead to effective business decisions. Um, I, I think we've worked with some of those companies over the years that are desperate and trying to change their business, but it rarely works. Um, it's really hard. That kind of turnaround situation is no joke. Um, and analytics tends to work better, in fact, I think, when you're in a growth situation than when you're in a desperation situation. So often, if, if you're a Sears, it's probably unrealistic to think that analytics is going to save you. I mean, you've got so many bad things going for you. You've got so much bad infrastructure, so much bad merchandise, so many bad sales and such a bad brand reputation um, that the idea that you can come in and tweak some measurement and change your business is just not very realistic. On the other hand, when you're growing, there's a lot of opportunities to do things better, accelerate growth and improve efficiency. I think what we're seeing in our business right now is that the opportunity is with retailers who are relatively strong. They're not in desperation straits, um, but they're also realizing that they need to do significantly better. So you see people, there are some digital first guys who are starting to roll out stores that I think get the measurement side of things and really care about the physical space. But I think there's also a class of retailers, you know, that are, that are doing really well, um, but also recognizing that they're starting to come up against the limitations as they compete with digital experiences and they have to do better. I find that about half the time in our sales, we're actually selling to digital teams that are starting to take over the customer experience store side, which I think is really interesting. Digital has just gotten so good about customer experience that even a lot of retailers with hundreds of established stores are finding that their best customer experience folks come from the digital side, not from the store side. No, I I think that's almost an interesting point because you're probably right in the sense that now you're having people that are almost... Now you're having the digital people that are saying, okay, we have come up against, we've maximized, we've really done a great job of making this better, but as hard as we talked about to iterate. So now how can we expand ours? Well, let's make that kind of digital to storefront brick and mortar, a seamless experience and make that a much better experience. So that, it sounds like that completely makes sense that, you know, people are, that those people are now looking to almost have that kind of up and coming type of a, you know, this is the next place that they're going to expand into. So maybe you are on the forefront of, uh, of, of doing that. So, 
Well, there is a whole lot more rabbit holes that we could go down that we don't have time for. And so, because uh, I think that, that on the technology side, there's a lot of interesting things that we could probably talk with, but we'll have to save that maybe for another day. But as we get towards the end of the podcast, I always have my two questions. And so we'll jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is, what was the worst business decision you ever made? You know, I touched on what I think might have been the worst, which is in the, dot, in the, in the wake of the dot-com bubble, uh, not organically transferring what we were doing as a company and holding on to the people too long. And I think both those were mistakes. Um, maybe since I already talked about holding on to the people too long, maybe I'll talk a little bit, I think, about the failure uh, to not try to find ways to adapt the technology and analytics expertise we had to other industries. I feel like in retrospect, I was unreasonably stubborn about thinking that, hey, we do website measurement and that's what we're gonna do um, in a market where there was absolutely zero demand for website measurement. Um, I feel like looking back on that, I should have found ways um, to take the technology and the expertise we had and apply them. That's one thing I think I'm doing a better, I'm not so sure about holding on to the people. I do think I'm doing a better job of trying to take our technologies and apply them to the particular problems that COVID has created for our business right now. Um, but you know, as an entrepreneur, we talk about this all the time. There's always a trade-off between you wanna be focused, you wanna stay committed to your mission statement, but there's also, a lot of organic learnings that you just have to be open to. Um, I loved the web analytics. I had really, I really found it fascinating. Um, and I think I just wasn't picking up on the, hey, well, these weren't faint signals. This was the market banging me on the head really hard. Nobody wants what you've got to offer. Um, and I really do think I could have probably morphed the business more effectively into something that took advantage of what we actually knew really, really well. Um, I regret that. Looking, looking back on that experience, in the long run, it worked out, but it probably cost that business three or four years of time when we probably could have been building even more team and more effective analytics. So that was, I look back and say that was, that was probably my biggest mistake. I've made a lot, yeah, like any entrepreneur, I made gazillions of mistakes and the world's always proving you wrong. Sometimes you look back on those things, you know what, I, I, I don't know how I could have made a better decision. It didn't work out. It turned out to be a bad decision, but given the information I had, it was a reasonable thing to decide. But I think sticking with the web analytics for three years when there was literally zero market was probably just a flat out stupid decision. So that, mm -hmm. that's, that's that looking back on it, I, I peg that one as a, a highlight of really bad thinking in, in my career. All right, but I'll jump to your defense. In the sense, I don't think you're alone. I think that people, you know, sometimes you, you have a good idea. And it's hard to know sometimes if you just, hey, I got to hold on a bit longer and the market's going to come back. Or if yeah. I hold on a bit longer, things will change versus, but I do, you know, versus, hey, it's just time to move on or time to pivot. And so it is that dynamic. But I think that generally yeah. it is a lesson to learn that, you know, most of the time, nothing is going to stay stagnant. Things are going to change and learning how to pivot or adapt or, you know, if there is chaos or change in the marketplace, whether it's COVID or the real estate market or the dot-com boom and the dot-com bust. And, you know, you have to learn how to adapt when it's a dot-com boom and you take advantage of that, learn yep. how to adapt when it's a bust and take advantage of that. And, you know, not take advantage of people, but making sure that you pivot on or with or the situation that arises. So I think that's a good, uh, let, or a good mistake to learn from and also to, to grow from. So now I'll jump to my second question I always ask, which is if you're to take, you know, somebody that's just getting into startups, just getting into small businesses, what would be the number one piece of advice you'd give them? I'm going to pick something measurement focused because I'm an analytics expert, right? And I'm assuming they can get lots of advice about general business and entrepreneurship from a lot of other people. Mm. Uh, but I 
believe that one of the biggest lessons that I've taken from my career in analytics is that we do far less testing and experimentation um, as entrepreneurs than we should. As entrepreneurs, we always think, rightly to some extent, that it's up to us to make a decision. The buck stops with us, we have to make a decision and we have to stick with it. Hey, that, that's life as an entrepreneur and a leader. Having said that, a lot of times the right decision when you're genuinely uncertain about something is to test the alternatives. Um, as an analytics person, we tell our clients all the time that the best way to make good market decisions is to test the alternatives, to A-B test, to multivariate test, to test different ways of getting things done because you rarely are absolutely certain about what the right decision is. And if you're looking at a marketing, a marketing decision about messaging, about logo, about customer, about product, um, my strong advice to people is don't feel like you just have to make a decision. Think about whether there are alternatives and ways that you can experiment and test in the market and see what works. I think that's an incredibly underutilized technology at every level of business, but maybe particularly at the entrepreneurial level of business, where um, a lot of times I believe we're overly committed to making a decision um, instead of thinking about how can we actually test a decision and find out what's right before we commit our whole business to it. So that's a piece of advice I give my clients. I talk to my clients regularly about, but I think it's a great piece of advice for entrepreneurs too. No, and, I, and I'd completely agree with that in the sense that I think that, you know, to you can fall into the trap too often that you think you, you that you are your target market or you are the target yes. clients right and you think that yes oh, if i like it if this works for me if you know whether it's it could be a website and oh yeah this website is exactly how i would want it maybe true you may be your target market but it may be that hey just because you like it this way doesn't mean that others can do it or even in a brick and mortar hey i like these products the way that they're positioned here or this is where people are going to and it may be true or it may be completely opposite but until you start testing that and figuring it out oftentimes you don't know how you can optimize it and there's always ways to optimize things and make things better so i think that that's testing and figuring out your your clients your target market and how you can always iterate and i think that nothing as we almost talked about nothing stays or stagnant so even if it works today if you're not testing it it may not work in a month from now or a year from now and you know as the market shifts if you even if you if it works perfect today and you got 100 percent, doesn't mean that that stays the way it is so it's so true that willingness to that, that willingness as an entrepreneur to experiment i think also leads to a willingness to admit when you're wrong, which I think is also really important and gets back to some of the things we talked about in, in terms of my big mistakes. And mo most entrepreneurs, I certainly classify myself in this, we believe strongly in what we believe in. You know, we have passionate opinions about stuff and that's great. I don't think you can be an effective entrepreneur without that. But if you're honest with yourself, you'll also find that even where you have strong opinions about stuff, there are cases where you're just legitimately unsure about what the best approach is. Experimentation is an incredible technique for helping yourself come to the right decision and, and know that it's the right decision, not just a guess that you've made. Um, nothing wrong with relying on your gut, uh, but a lot of times when you can rely on the market to give you real answers, that's just flat out better. Yeah, no, I, I'm in complete agreement. So, all right, well, wrapping that up. So people want to, you know, they are in retail. They want to be in retail. They have a store, brick mortar store. They want to reach out to you. They want to invest with you. They want to get a job with you or anything else connecting up with you. What's the best way to reach out and connect with you? You know, I, uh, uh, 
check out our website, digitalmortar.com. Drop me an email for heaven's sakes. I, I love getting queries, whether obviously like any entrepreneur, I love getting queries about people who might want my services. But frankly, if you're just interested in analytics, measurement, people counting, and people tracking, uh, feel free to drop me a line. My, my email is gary.angel at digitalmortar.com. I love to talk about this stuff and happy to address anybody's interests or, or concerns or questions. All right. We'll definitely tell people or make sure that people check out uh, Digital Mortar and uh, be able to uh, find out more information and reach out to you and whatnot. So, well, thank you again for coming on. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun to hear about, a little about your journey and uh, what you get, where, where you came from and where you guys are headed. Um, for those of you that are wanting to, uh, to come on and tell your journey on the podcast, feel free to go to inventivejourneyguest.com and apply to be a guest on the show. And if you're a listener, make sure to uh, click the subscribe button so you can uh, get notifications of this episode and all the new episodes as they air. And lastly, if you need any help uh, with patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law, and we're always happy to help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. Well, Gary, it's been fun to have you on, fun to hear your story, and uh, wish you the best next uh, part of your journey, as well as uh, it was enjoyable to hear about the last part of your journey. Thanks, Devin. That was great. Really enjoyed it. <laughs>